So this class is a kind of an interim class because uh, we finished studying the Kathopanishad and then my plan is to go on to the Mundakopanishad next. However, in between there is an in intervening period in which I'll be traveling to India to mainly to attend the centenary celebrations of the Ramakrishna Mission Ashram in Mumbai. We are 100 years old and they are celebrating this year. I'm going to give some talks there and some other places also I'm visiting. So there's going to be a gap. And instead of starting and immediately stopping the Mundakopanishad, I thought let's do something else. We've got, we had three classes, just three classes. Um, so there was a demand for an introduction to the Adhyasa Bhashya. This is a masterful introduction written by Shankaracharya to his commentary on the Brahma Sutras. So I thought, let's do that. Let's just take a look. But I really wish I, I could take time and study this with all of you line by line. It's really worthwhile. But that would be a full course in itself, as you can be as you begin to see how deep everything is, and we'll see more of that today. So for the time being, we'll just have to do with this, these three classes as an introduction, as a taste of what the Adhyasa Bhashya is. In today's class, I'll start off again by repeating what Adhyasa is and tell us why and talk about why it's so important. And then go on to um, the definition of Adhyasa offered by Shankaracharya. What is the definition of Adhyasa? and various issues which arise from that definition. We'll get a taste of how deeply these things have been thought about by both monks and scholars in India for centuries, if not millennia. And then, oh yes, I promised story time. There are a lot of stories associated with this. I'll share three stories at the end. All right, let's start. That's what's on our menu today. But first, starting with the traditional chant. Om Narayanam Padmabhavam Vasishtam Shaktim Chatat Putra Parasharam Cha Vyasam Shukam Gaudapadam Mahantam Govinda Yogindra Mathasya Shishyam Shri Shankaracharya Mathasya Padmapadam Cha Hastamalakam Cha Shishyam Tam Totakam Vatikakaram Gurun Santa Tamanato Asmi Shruti Smriti Purananam Alayam Karunalayam Namami Bhagavat Padam Shankaram Loka Shankaram Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Kritau Vande Bhagavantau Punah Ishwaro Gururat Meti Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha. Just to recapitulate, what is Adhyasa? Why is it so important? Briefly. So, in the classic example of the rope and the snake, when because of the ignorance of the rope, what do I mean by the ignorance of the rope? Now we know to be careful. It's not that I don't even know anything. I know it's there. Something. I see something. But I don't know it's a rope. And then there is a mistake. I think, I actually, I feel I'm seeing a snake. 
It's not just a theory. I just straight away say, oh, there's a snake there. So this um, seeing the snake where there is no snake, what is actually a rope is seen as a snake. What is actually a rope is mistaken as a snake. This mistake is called adhyasa. It is translated in um, English as superimposition. Superimposition does not mean putting something over another thing, one thing over the other. It's mistaking one thing for another. So it's a mistake. So when you mistake what's actually a rope for a snake, when you mistake what's actually a dry desert for a watery oasis, or actually colorless space for a blue sky, that is adhyasa, superimposition. All right? So what? Now, this is the concept used by Shankaracharya to explain the phenomenon of this universe. That one existence consciousness bliss, one non-dual existence consciousness bliss is appearing to us in all of these ways. We do not know it, just as the rope was not known. Not knowing the rope was a cause of seeing the snake. Not knowing Brahman, that this is Brahman, I am Brahman, is the cause of seeing this, that there's a world, external, material world, and I am this body-mind, of, of thinking that this is the reality. Notice, it will still go on. We'll explain this later on. Even after enlightenment, after enlightenment, will you stop seeing the world? Will you stop seeing the body-mind? No, you will continue to see the world. An ex external experience, there is no change. But internally, in our knowledge, in our realization, there is a vast change. So we continue to see the same thing, but now you know it's, it's Brahman. So, and continue to see yourself as this body-mind, but now you know it's Brahman, that you are Brahman. So this is ignorance, superimposition, correction of the ignorance, and enlightenment. <laughs> ignorance, I don't know it's a rope. Superimposition, it's a snake. Correction, Oh, it's not a snake, it's a rope. And enlightenment and freedom that is free from the fear of the snake. Similarly, I don't know it's Brahman. Oh, it's a world, I am this body-mind. Correction, I am Brahman. And this entire universe is nothing but an appearance in Brahman. That is enlightenment and freedom, moksha. So this is crucial. As you can see, Adhyasa is crucial to this entire way of thinking. It is because of Adhyasa See how important Adhyasa is. The central teaching of Advaita Vedanta that you are Brahman. Jiva Brahma Aikya in Sanskrit. It means the identity of the sentient being and the absolute reality. That you are identical. You are. You're not one with Brahman. You are Brahman. You are that absolute reality. This identity is complete radical identity. It depends on Adhyasa. If, if only this is a mistake. If only Shankaracharya's understanding of the present situation as adhyasa, as a, as a superimposition, if that is correct, then the identity of Jiva and Brahma is understandable. That yes, we are, we are Brahman, but because of this error, we are seeing ourselves in this way. If it is not correct, then uh, in that case, this is what the reality is. I am actually a body-mind. In that case, no amount of shouting, I am Brahman, I am Brahman, is going to help you. You are just this mortal being. So because of Adhyasa, it becomes understandable. I am Brahman becomes understandable. The identity of Jiva and Brahman. Um, it's because of Adhyasa, we can, we can now claim that ignorance is the cause of bondage. Ajnana is the bandha. 
bandhakaranam in sanskrit ignorance of our real nature of as brahman is the cause of bondage what else could it be it could be like in the other philosophies like karma we are sentient beings because of our past karma we are caught in this cycle of birth and death and that's the reality and by the grace of god will be set free someday but in contrast to this if you are claiming that no it's not karma it's not anything else it's sheer ignorance not knowing your ever free nature not realizing your ever free nature that is the cause of bondage that is the, the position of advaita vedanta it's possible only if adhyasa is true if adhyasa is proved to be true then its counterpart jnana is the cause of realization uh, of freedom knowledge knowledge is the cause of freedom knowledge can only be the cause of freedom um, only when adhyasa is true why what can knowledge do knowledge can remove ignorance and if ignorance is removed the products of ignorance like superimposition mistake gets corrected that's all that knowledge can do so if our bondage is due to a mistake then knowledge can help us not if it's not really a snake by mistake i'm seeing a snake then the knowledge of the rope can help us that it's a rope and not a snake that will correct it and settle the problem but if it, so the adhyasa is the if adhyasa is true then knowledge can help us if it's really a snake it's not an adhyasa not a mistake really a snake no amount of shouting it's a rope it's a rope is going to help the snake is going to bite you so as you see um ignorance is the cause of samsara knowledge is the cause of freedom jiva and brahman are identical you are identical with the absolute reality um then uh, um, by knowledge alone you know the, the the sadhana oh one more thing the brahma jigyasa kartavya when our real um, duty our real duty in this world our real duty or real sadhana becomes this inquiry into who am i this is also valid only if adhyasa is correct let me repeat that brahma jigyasa inquiry into brahman which is the first sutra of the brahma sutras kartavya the duty what are we supposed to do in life the real thing that we are supposed to do in life the ultimate thing that we are supposed to do in life is to inquire into who am i or what am i and that will lead to knowledge of what am i that knowledge will remove the ignorance of what i am and that removal of the ignorance will remove the product of ignorance this mistake we call samsara all of this is predicated on adhyasa on superimposition so you can see how tremendously important important uh, the um the this adhyasa is for uh, establishing advaita siddhanta the uh, the doctrine of the conclusions of advaita vedanta conclusions of non dual vedanta superimposition this theory of superimposition introduced by some shankaracharya absolutely central so the second part of what i want to do today is um actually go to the text and take up one more sentence we had been taking up the we had just taken a look at the first very formidable sentence um which uh, i had said is one of the most profound things that you can find in any philosophical literature east and west i'm quoting the professor late professor j n mohanty um but now let's move on let me just take up one sentence today which is after that very long first sentence if you see the text there is a text aha 
कोयम मध्यासुनामेति उच्यते स्मृति रूप परत्र पूर्व दृष्ट ट्रांसलेशन इट इज सेड और इट इज एस्ट कोयम मध्यासुनामेति व्हाट इज दिस अध्यासन दैट मींस गिव मी अ डेफिनेशन यू नो इट्स वेरी इंपॉर्टेंट आई गेट इट इट्स रियली इंपॉर्टेंट डिफाइन इट व्हाट आर वी टॉकिंग अबाउट उच्यते इट इज बीइंग सेड और देयर इज अ रिप्लाई Smriti rupa paratra purva drishta vabhasa. Uh, it is the knowledge or the the appearance uh, of something like memory seen elsewhere and based on something that has been experienced earlier. I'll explain all of that. Let me just see what um, Swami Gambhirananda ji's translation might be. Does anybody have Gambhiranji's translation open before them? Gita, you can read out. If it be asked, what is it that is called superimposition? The answer is, it is an awareness similar in nature to memory that arises on a different foreign basis as a result of some past experience. Okay, that's it. And that's all that we will do in, the, in this, this section of today's class, before the stories. <laughs> all right. Now the question is, question is being asked it could be by a student who wants to know what is adhyasa now please define it or it could be by an opponent who opposes shankaracharya's um, uh, philosophy is asking you know please define what is adhyasa so that i can i can take it apart um and shankaracharya replies it's an awareness an experience a knowledge something that we have an experience or knowledge or awareness which we have in general not a very particular very precise uh, use of the term just in general it's an experience which we have which is based on something that we have experienced earlier and which is seen on in some other locus and it's like memory now let me explain each of these terms there are in the definition of adhyasa definition of superimposition there are four words smriti roopa like memory first paratra elsewhere in some other place purva drishta which was experienced earlier purva drishta experienced earlier avabhasa awareness experience knowledge if you just um, apply it to our rope and snake example we will see how how it fits shankaracharya is trying to explain that um so if you apply it to the rope and snake example and then we'll apply it to brahman and the world for example uh so uh, an an experience so you're seeing and experiencing the person who makes a mistake about the snake experiences has a kind of experience that i'm seeing a snake now um it is paratra paratra means elsewhere elsewhere means where there is no snake he's not seeing a snake in the garden or in the zoo he's seeing a snake where in the rope where there is no snake at all elsewhere means where the object is not there if you see an object where it is it's not a mistake but if you see an object where it is not that's a mistake you see a snake in the zoo i mean the snake where there is a snake no mistake if you see a snake where there is no snake there is a rope it's a mistake so paratra means seeing something where it is not there now um what's it like purva drishta it has it's something that has been experienced earlier 
So you know about it. It's not an entirely unknown thing. It's something coming out of your samskara, something that is coming out of our past impressions. And Smriti Rupa, it's like memory. Not memory, it's like memory. All right. Let's analyze this. And for this, I'm drawing upon multiple sources, which that handout will really help you. Uh, the notes from the lectures of uh, Professor Manidravit Shastri, and he, he has drawn from uh, multiple commentators and sub-commentators. So anyway, you can look at it later. I'll just generally go on and explain it. Um, so here, these two, Smriti Rupa and Purva Drishta, these two words, like memory and something that has been experienced earlier, they, they show us the cause, the material out of which the mistake happens, the superimposition happens. Where do we get this impression, this idea, um, the knowledge about a snake? It's uh, something that you have experienced earlier. You've seen a snake earlier. The person who made a mistake about you know, the rope appearing as a snake, seeing it a snake where there's no snake, uh, he made a mistake because of some past experience. He's conditioned to see a snake. He's conditioned to see a snake. So it's purvadrishta, something that has been experienced earlier. Second, uh, it's like memory. It isn't memory. He's not remembering a snake. He's seeing a snake. So it's like memory. He's recalling the old samskaras conditioning has been activated and uh, he's recalling it. But it's not, not memory. He's not remembering a snake. He's actually, he feels, he doesn't say that, oh, that robe reminds me of a snake I saw in the zoo. He doesn't say that. He says, there's a snake. So it's like memory, but it's not memory. So th this like memory and something experienced earlier, these two words give us the basis, the material out of which the mistake happens. The nature of the mistake itself, the nature of the superimposition of dhyasa itself, is indicated by the other two words. Avabhasa, it's an experience. It's an awareness, it's a knowledge. It's something that we, we, we see. And um, paratra, it's a mistake. It's seen where it is not there. Paratra means elsewhere. What's the very nature of adhyasa superimposition? First, it's an experience. Even a mistake is an experience. A dream is an experience. A movie is an experience. Seeing a snake in a rope is an experience. Seeing a mirage um, in a water where there's no water, it's an experience. You can't deny that you had an experience. Yes, later you say it's a mistake, but the experience, even when you say it's a mistake, you can't deny that you had an experience. So um, it's an experience, avabhasa. And paratra means it's a mistake because you are seeing something where it is not. You are seeing a snake where it's a rope. There's no snake. Applied to Brahman and the world. Um, so, because of our past experiences of many lifetimes, we have been conditioned. So, that's the Purvadrishta. Purvadrishta. Uh, having experienced earlier. We have experienced it many times in the past. And we have some scars of that. Smriti Rupa, like memory. Those are evoked like memory, but they are not memory. We are seeing a world. We are not remembering a world seen in past lives. You're actually experiencing, you know, subject-object relationships and all that. And then, um, paratra, purvadrishta, avabhasa. Avabhasa means an experience. So, our world experience is an experience. We are having an experience now. Even after we become enlightened, uh, we will look back upon this and say we were mistaken. But still, we will not deny that we did have this samsara experience. You know, we had an 
we can say it was like a dream it was not real but we don't say that oh there was never any problem i mean i never had samsara no um so it is an experience avabhasa and paratra el at 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 the other place elsewhere what is this elsewhere it is a brahman like a rope no snake like brahman no samsara we are seeing samsara in brahman right now you are experiencing brahman just like that man make a mistake made a mistake he he is experiencing a snake he is looking at the rope he is actually experiencing a rope but he thinks it's a snake he actually feels you know you can even say in quotes he sees it it as a snake similarly the enlightened one will tell us you are actually experiencing brahman all the time effortlessly so the difference between you and the enlightened one is simply in that word enlightened enlightened means knowledge and that that breakthrough has come for that person and the same experience he sees the same one non dual radiance everywhere so this is how you apply the definition of for snake rope and then you um, try to apply it for what it is meant for actually brahman and the world this experience not just brahman and the world for yourself you as atma and you as body mind body mind you are you are pure consciousness but i don't see myself as pure consciousness i see myself as a body mind it's like seeing the snake in the rope it is purva drishta i have seen this many many lifetimes smriti rupa this is being recalled like a memory it's being recalled samskaras and paratra where it is not in the atma what do you mean where just like the rope there is the atman existence consciousness bliss chidananda rupa shivoham in that what is not there that appearance of body mind it comes and i say i am that all right this is the application of the definition further analysis professor manidravit shastri draws upon um, another commentator there is a book called prakatartha vivarana prakatartha vivarana this is in one commentarial tradition on shankaracharya called the vivarana school we will see that in the stories later on so this prakatartha vivarana it's a like a major text of this particular sub school of advaita vedanta um written by a monk called anubhuti swarupa acharya who lived few centuries after shankaracharya but nothing much is known about him so there he um from drawing from this source professor manindravit shastri you'll see in that in those notes it's there he gives a very forensic analysis of this definition remember the definition the four words and then we'll jump into it and see how he uses these four words to understand adhyasa this is the source is prakatartha vivarana in, in short it's called prakatartha um what he says is these four words smriti rupa uh, like memory um paratra elsewhere purva drishta having seen something earlier avabhasa experience is coming now these four words where he says that if you just say purva drishta avabhasa he see what he's trying to do is show why each of these four words is key why each of these four words is very important for the definition so if you just say purva drishta avabhasa what was seen earlier is now again being experienced what was seen earlier is now again being experienced you saw a snake earlier now you are experiencing the snake again but then the problem will be this applies to memory also 
So memory is something, the recurrence of something that you have seen earlier. You saw a beautiful garden in some place. Now you sit in your room and close your eyes and recollect the, the garden. That's memory. Purva drishtavabhasa. What you saw is coming up in your mind again. But that's not superimposition. It's that man who made a mistake about the rope and snake is not sitting quietly and remembering a snake. Oh, what a terrible snake it was. No. If you ask him, are you remembering a snake? He said, no, no, I'm seeing a snake. Uh, there, It's in front of you. Be careful. So, Purvadrishtavabhas, if you just say this word, Purvadrishta, uh, it becomes memory. Uh, it's not superimposition. It's not adhyasa. So, he says, who says? This Prakatartha Vivaranakara, this, this author, he says, now for that you have to add one more word, Smriti Rupa, like memory, but not memory. It's like memory, but not memory. When the man makes a mistake about a snake in a rope, it's like memory. When we are analyzing, in a distant, we are sitting quietly and analyzing. Yes, it's like memory because he recalled his old conditioning about the snake and projected it there, but it's not memory. So the word like memory is interjected there, is put in there. All right. Then um, there is another phenomenon called recognition in Sanskrit, pratyabhigya, recognition. So you see Bob, you've seen him many, many times earlier, but you haven't seen him for many years. Now you suddenly see Bob and you say, oh, the, uh, that's Bob. Now this is recognition. And so Recognition means a person you have seen earlier, Purva Drishta. You have seen this person earlier. And Smriti Rupa. Smriti Rupa means like memory. Recognition is not memory. Recognition is when you see that person again, you recognize. Oh, you, that, this is that person. You are actually seeing somebody. So uh, it's like memory and it's something that has been seen earlier, but it's not a mistake. You see, uh, when you recognition is not a mistake, we we recognize places, we recognize things, we recognize people all the time. So recognition is not a mistake. So this will not do as a definition of mistake. You see where this is leading. Why each term is important. So smriti rupa purva drishtavabhasa, seeing something like memory which has been experienced earlier, it will apply to recognition also. Uh, recognition is also seeing something which has been who has been experienced earlier and um, it's like memory what is the difference between memory and recognition in memory you're recalling something experienced earlier and doing it entirely in your mind that person or place is not present in from you i am remembering him i'm remembering that place i'm remembering that book remembering that poem so that's memory what's recognition here is that person who I saw earlier. So memory is involved there, but also the person is actually present. That is recognition. And that place is actually present. You are seeing that place again. So recognition and memory, both are not mistakes. In order to exclude recognition and memory, we use one more term, paratra. What is not there is being seen. Recognition, what is recognition? Bob is there and we are recognizing that, oh, I, I, had, I had seen this person years ago. Now I recognize you are that person. You're not remembering Bob. You're not um, uh, making a, a mistake about Bob. You're recognizing Bob, who's there. But a mistake is, is that that person is not there, but you think it's there. That snake is not there, but you make a mistake, it's there. So in that case, that's why one more word has been introduced, paratra. Paratra means 
elsewhere where it is not there. Three, three phenomena. We are doing something subtle here. Three phenomena are being taken up. What is that? Memory, recognition, mistake. Memory, recognition, mistake. And we want to we want to say, we want to isolate and define mistake. We don't want to talk about memory or we don't want to talk about recognition. Adhyasa is mistake, superimposition. Superimposition, mistake, adhyasa, same thing. How is adhyasa different? How will you define uh, adhyasa, superimposition or mistake so that it's different from memory and recognition? That's why you must use all these four words. It's not just an experience. Avabhasa means an experience. But it's an experience based on something in the past. Purvadrishta. But that could be a memory also. So it's like memory, but not memory. Smriti Rupa. But that could be recognition also. That's why it's like memory, Smriti Rupa, Purvadrishta, Avabhasa, but also Paratra, where it is not there. Recognition is something which is there. But recognition, this is not there. Snake is not there. We are seeing a snake. So all the four terms are justified. It's an experience, Avabhasa. It's based on past conditioning, Purvadrishta. It's like memory, Smriti Rupa. And it's about something which is not there. It's a mistake, Paratra. So Smriti Rupa, Paratra, Purvadrishta, Avabhasa. Um, a little more information quickly before we go ahead. To have an, a mistake, one requires three things. To make a mistake, one requires three things. What are these three things? Um, one requires a defect in Sanskrit called dosha, defect or problem. In this case, ignorance will be the problem. A defect, um, sense organ, sense organ contact, samskara. Let me put it this way. To make a mistake about a rope as a snake, one requires three things. First of all, one must um, have a defect like an ignorance. I don't know it's a rope. That's primary. I don't know it's a rope. If I knew to begin with it's a rope, I wouldn't make the mistake. So dosha, first thing is dosha, defect. What defect? Ignorance. Ignorance of what? Ignorance that it's a rope. Ignorance that it's Brahman. Second, I require some, some experience, contact. So in this case, I must see the rope with my eyes. If I had my eyes closed, if the guy who made a mistake about the snake rope had his eyes closed, he wouldn't even see the rope and he wouldn't even make a mistake. So there must be some kind of basic knowledge. So in our case as Brahman, we must have this awareness of, um, you know, names and forms and body, mind, all of this must come. Then a mistake will come that I am body-mind. And this is an external world because I don't know myself as not rope, as underlying awareness, as existence, consciousness, please. So, some knowledge is required. Sense object contact, second component. And third component is some samskara is required. Some past conditioning is required. The person must have seen a snake in a movie or a zoo or somewhere. So, in, instantly that mistake happens. We have been conditioned somehow to act as limited beings, sentient beings, this body-mind. It's a mistake because an enlightened person doesn't make this mistake. So we, we have been conditioned from many past lives. There's a story which I like. Um, one pundit, a scholar, was arguing with a monk in the Himalayas. 
so this pandit was um, um, was uh, he was a dualist and the monk was a non-dualist and the pandit said to the monk dvaita satya hai mahatma ji oh monk duality is is, is right that's true that, that is right not non-duality then the monk replied to him i'll tell you in hindi and translate um dvaita satya hai ye to wo gau bhi janti hai that uh, that cow also knows that duality is correct to pandit hai to koi nayi cheez bata that duality is right duality is real that i am different and the grass is different the cow also knows it and i must go and eat the grass this duality is a common way of dealing with the world it's natural to everybody now if you are a pandit if you are a great scholar and philosopher tell me something new what tell me something that the cow doesn't know then how are you a pandit otherwise so this is this is the thing um so because of past condition so there is some defect ignorance <coughs> there is some past conditioning samskara and there is some knowledge some kind of contact so these three things um because makes the person mistake a rope as a snake and that's an example and we according to shankaracharya because of these three defects uh, these three things first defect what is the defect agyana ignorance ignorance about what i am satchidananda i don't know that that's the defect then what is the samskara many many past lives of conditioning as sentient beings going through life and death this is the samskara we deal with things as subjects and objects all the time and then what is the uh, knowledge which we have our daily experience of life you know we we see hear smell taste touch uh, we are aware of names and forms body mind that's enough to make a mistake that i am this and all of these are separate from me and then samskara start and samsara starts for me anyway the point here is for adhyasa for uh, um, a mistake to happen three components are necessary dosha um, uh, that indriyartha sandikasha they call sense object contact and samskara past conditioning these three together give you the basis for you are you are now primed for making a mistake okay, you are ready to make a mistake now you are well equipped to make a mistake all right now what else do i want to say okay another um, commentator which is the bhamati commentator i'll mention we have a story about that also coming up makes this uh, uh, he he comments about the definition he says avabhasa the term appearance or or experience he says it is a knowledge which is discarded later his definition of the term avabhasa is knowledge discarded later what's a knowledge there's a snake and it's discarded later when you become enlightened it's not a snake it's a rope then this is a good time to introduce this uh, superimposition has um, two aspects to it is an important way of understanding superimposition they are called arthadhyasa gyanadhyasa i'll translate into english arthadhyasa means object superimposition gyanadhyasa means cognitive superimposition and again very simple let me use the example it will become very clear when i say that this is a snake my my thinking that uh, oh there is a snake 
that is jnana adhyasa what should be the correct thinking there is a rope that's a rope that's correct and i make a mistake in my mind in my understanding and say there is a snake this is called superimposition in cognition in my knowledge but there is something called object superimposition see make it very clear the object out there which is actually a rope is mistaken for another object which is a snake um, a snake projected in error so not only i'm making a mistake in my mind my knowledge is wrong but i am seeing something wrongly outside so um for example when it is corrected when this person realizes it's not a snake it's a rope what does he say he doesn't say that oh i was thinking it's a snake but now i am thinking it's a rope no his first reaction if you closely follow the correction this first reaction will be oh that's not a snake that is a rope look at the words that is talking about the object there that object there was a snake now he realizes it's not a snake that object there is a is a rope so the object in sanskrit artha one object is superimposed on another object this is called artha dhyasa and one cognition is mistaken mistaken knowledge that is called jnana dhyasa mistaken cognition mistaken object what this commentator does is he uses the word smriti smriti means memory in the definition the it's there smriti roopa paratra purva drishta avabhasa so smriti memory um what he does is he a little bit of uh, etymological derivation here um smriti can be derived in two ways in sanskrit grammar smariyate ti smriti that which makes us remember is called memory so that object which makes us think it's a snake um, that's one way of looking at it so that is artha dhyasa object superimposition let me repeat the word smriti in sanskrit can be derived as smariyate that which makes you remember that which made me remember a snake so we are talking about the object there that mistake that object that uh, we make a mistake about that so that's referring to um artha dhyasa object superimposition the other way of deriving the word smriti memory is smaranam iti smriti so remembering the act of remembering is, is smriti it's an entirely cognitive approach so it's re- referring to jnana dhyasa the mistake in the level of uh, understanding no big deal but i'm just showing you how carefully shankaracharya's words choice of words just one word um, they the commentators tease out different meanings here is a commentator who is using the word smriti memory in two ways to bring out the two aspects of mistake the object side of it the cognitive side of it atthadhyasa gyanadhyasa by two derivations of the word smriti all right um now shankaracharya i skip ahead shankaracharya gives a couple of examples of um adhyasa one paragraph later this paragraph which i'm skipping just one word, word about it so once you define what an error is what a mistake is superimposition is and you go through all the words of that definition smriti roopa paratra purva drishta avabhasa then the big question uh, comes says what is an error what are the mechanics of an error how does a mistake happen 
And there are multiple theories of this. Traditionally, five theories are considered. So these theories of error in, um, in Indian philosophy and epistemology are called khyati, the khyati vada, the debate or the discussion about how things appear in mistakes. So um, the discussion is not a mistake. It's about mistakes. It's a very, very convoluted, very subtle discussion. So every philosopher, every school has its own theory, particular theory of error. And then the non-dualist Advaitin has to take up and discuss each of these theories of error and discard them in the favor of its own theory of error. We have, we too have a theory of error, which fits uh, what Advaita wants to say. So what are these theories of error? Primarily, there are um, five which are usually discussed. So I'll just name them. I will not go into them. You can heave a sigh of relief. The main theories of error in Indian philosophy. Atmakhyati. This is the theory of error propounded by the Buddhist Yogachara Vigyanavada, which is one of the philosophies of Tibetan Buddhism, for example. So Yogachara Vigyanavada, this is a theory of Buddhist idealism. Their theory of error is called Atmakhyati. I will not translate. Then Asatkhyati. The, or let me translate. Atmakhyati is the appearance of the self. And remember, this is a theory of error propounded by the Buddhist subjective idealist. This is enough. And these, this, these terms are enough for a person trained in philosophy to sort of understand what that theory must be. But then you require uh, not a PhD, but at least a graduate degree in philosophy to or Indian philosophy to uh, grasp just from this. You know, it's interesting how training helps you. Once, many years ago, I was... Um, studying Western logic. So there was this textbook of symbolic logic. I was fascinated by it. And very nice textbook, big, thick textbook with nice pictures and um, you know all of that, uh, tables and stuff, truth tables and stuff. So I showed it to my friend, who is a famous mathematician. He's a monk. So I showed it to him. I was telling him, this is a really good book. It's teaching me symbol, modern symbolic logic. And I started telling him, and he said, he was very impatient. He said, stop that. Just give me the book. And he took the book and he opened to the back of the book. You know, in many math books, and there's a cheat sheet at the back, just the formula given. Just the formula. No, he looked at the formula, just one page of formula, looked through it for a couple of minutes. He said, okay, got it. I said, what do you mean got it? There are 400, more than 400 pages in this book. He said, that's it, too many words, too many words. I don't want so many words. So for a highly trained mind like that, just to see the formula, he's, he's really got it. Whatever is there in the book, whatever has to be said, he's got, he's got it. Um, but for us, we have to go through the, all the explanations and examples and stories and so on and so forth. He just needs the formula. So here, Asat Khyati is the uh, theory of error propounded by the Madhyamaka Buddhist. Nagarjuna's philosophy, the philosophy of um, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama school of Tibetan Buddhism and so on. So that's, Asatkhyati means projection of nothing, the void. Nothing appears as all of this. Akhyati, that is non-apprehension. So the this is a Mimamsa school which has this theory of error. These are theories of error, not theories of truth, theories of error. The Mimamsa school, and that's also one particular school of Mimamsa called the Prabhakara school, 
And the meaning of akhyati is non-apprehension. You can easily make out what they want to say. Error is because you can't tell the difference between the false snake and the real rope. Non-apprehension of the difference. The difference you can't tell. Uh, the false snake, which is a conditioning, a memory in your mind, and the real rope which you are seeing, you can't tell the difference. And that's why you make a mistake. Does that make sense? Something, your mind is really strongly conditioned. Little kid, his mind is strongly conditioned seeing ghosts. And then in the evening, in the dark, he sees a shadow in the, in the garden. And he gets scared. That's the ghost. Now, what he, according to this school, what happened was the conditioning in his mind and the external shadow which he saw, he couldn't tell the difference between the two. And that's why he got scared. It's a pretty sophisticated theory. Anyway, now I've started explaining the theories. Then number four, anyatha khyati. Seeing something else that was seen elsewhere, seeing it here. And not knowing that it's elsewhere. So you see silver. The classic example is a person who saw silver in a, in a jeweler's shop. And she sees a shining object out there on the sea beach and doesn't know it's a seashell. He thinks it's silver. So he's actually seeing what he saw in the shop. Elsewhere seen, seen here. That's the mistake. This is another way of showing a mistake. And finally, anirvachanya khyati, the fifth uh, theory of error. That is our theory, the Advaita Vedanta. It says, what you see as a snake is actually a projection. Uh, it, it's not a mistake. It's, it's not something seen elsewhere and all of that stuff. It's actually a projection, like, like a movie, like a dream. Yeah, so it's not, a re it's not reality like Brahman. But it's not that something doesn't exist at all. Not completely unreal also. So this whole world is anirvachanya. And cannot be expressed as ultimately real. Cannot be expressed as non-existence also. Sad asad bhyam anirvachanyam. Sad means ultimately real. Only Brahman is ultimately real. And you are that Brahman. Asad means doesn't exist at all. But this world and maya are sad asad bhyam anirvachanyam cannot be designated as absolutely real, cannot be designated as non-existent. And that's not weird. I mean, what's a movie, for example? What's a story? What's a snake in a rope? It's not real. The things in the movie are not real. The snake there is not real. Story is Harry Potter is not real. But is it nothing? Of course not. Movies are a multi-billion dollar industry. If it been nothing, it's not nothing. It's fiction. It's a, it's a projection. So... Shankara says this world is Maya. This is a common statement in India. Every like every other villager in every Indian language will say once in a while, it's sub Maya, it's all Maya. But this is Advaita Vedanta's position. It's a projection. Not that this world doesn't exist, but not that it's the ultimate reality also. This is the thing. All right. So these are the different theories of existence. Um, just to give you, not to scare you, but just to give you an idea of how deeply they have studied these. I mentioned in the last class that there are not just these five well-known theories of error. Atma khyati, Asat khyati, um, then uh, Akhyati, Anyatha khyati, Anirvachanya khyati. But there are some, uh, in a book I found 15 different theories of error. This is, and somebody asked me, what's that book? Because this is not well-known. Don't go out and buy the book. You won't get it anyway. It's, it's a rare book. It's called a, a critique of the theories of Viparjaya. Viparjaya means error. So this whole book is about error. 
book is not an, not an error. It's about error. And if you look at, it's by Nonilal Sen, who's a Vedanta teacher from Rabindra Bharati University, published in 1965. Um, if you look at the contents, that's all I want to mention today. Not just five theories of error, but you have 15 theories of error here. I can just uh, read out, rattle out the names. Nirvishaya Khyati, Niradishthana Khyati, Akhyati, Alaukika Khyati, Prasiddhartha Khyati, Anya Khyati, Sadasad Khyati, Atma Khyati, Asad Khyati, Sad Khyati, Viveka Akhyati, Anyatha Khyati, Anirvachanya Khyati, and so on. I mean, just the level of subtlety these people have gone into in discussing, and this is for just about every aspect of uh, metaphysics. All right. I wanted to discuss some more, but we'll stop now. Use the time for the stories. The stories are the nice part. And then maybe some other time we can go on discussing. But just do look at the, um, the handout, which contains the lectures uh, lecture of uh, Professor Manidravit Shastri, which discusses um, material drawn from many of these commentators and sub-commentators. What I wanted to discuss today, I'll just indicate and leave it there, but all the material is there in the handout. Shankaracharya gives an example of adhyasa, error. Not the classic rope snake, snake example, he uses another classic example. Shuktika hi rajatavad avabhasate. This is well known. He says, error, adhyasa is well known in the world. Everybody experiences it. For example, um, the seashell the nacre or the seashell, it appears to be silver. So this is an old Sanskrit kind of example. In Sanskrit literature, you'll find a person walking along the seashore suddenly sees something glittering and thinks it's silver and it runs there. But it's actually nacre, shuktika, seashell. It's flashing in the sunlight, thinks it's silver. And when he goes there, he finds it's not silver. So, you know, the old adage, all that glitters is not gold. So basically that example. And the other example he gives of a mistake is Moon being one appears to be many, appears to be two moons. So when you look at the moon, maybe the nice full moon out there, if you press your eyelid, you'll find two moons coming up. Or uh, if you put, you know, like pots of water and the moon is reflected there, as many pots of water you put, so many little moons will be reflected there. So, um, now, a person, normally we are not fooled, but when you, a person who doesn't know, uh, maybe uh, sometimes eye drop, if you put for eye examination, some kind of, they put a medicine, then you start seeing double after that. Uh, so a person who might not know, might think that there are two people there where there's actually one person. You see two people like that. So that's an error. And he gives these two examples. Seashell appears like uh, silver. Rajatavat in Sanskrit, Rajatavat Bhati. Seashell appears like silver. Now that he used the word like, that word like in Sanskrit word, what, like, not even a word, it's a suffix. Rajatavat, like silver, suffix in Sanskrit. Just that half a word. If you read the handout, you'll see what a storm of controversy it has generated. Uh, the opponents just pounce on that. 
What do you mean here? And here Shankaracharya is trying to push the idea that uh, this world is um, not, a, not ultimately real, not unreal also. It's neither real nor unreal. A third category, which is it calls anirvachanya, product of maya, that theory is trying to push. There's an enormous pushback from multiple opponents and page after page. Like there are dozens of debates going on around just this half a word, what like. Give you one example of the, such a question and then I'll stop. I had 10 examples actually. I had made a list, but I'll give you just one. The opponent says to you, the non-dualist or to Shankaracharya, look, if you say the world is false, however, how will we distinguish between right knowledge and false knowledge, between true and false, between right and wrong? Why? Because there is a real snake and you make a mistake and you see a rope as a snake, then you can correct yourself. This is not a real snake. The one in the, in the zoo or in the cage is the real snake and this one is the mistake. There is real water. By mistake, you see water in the desert where there's none and you can distinguish. This is false. That's right. But if you say the whole universe itself is unreal, is, is an appearance, is false, then how will you distinguish between what is right and wrong? What is true and false? If there are some things which are true, and sometimes by mistake you see some things falsely, you can distinguish. But everything is an appearance. How will you distinguish between right and wrong? So this is the question. And Shankaracharya there, I mean, the sub-commentators actually, they bring out some very subtle points of Advaita Vedanta. They say, what is the distinction between right and wrong is, but true and false, is, is the knowledge of cancellation. That is, he call, they call it badha, sublation or cancellation. What is this? That when you see, when the person sees a rope as a snake, when the person realizes it's not a snake, it's a rope, this is in Sanskrit called badha. In English, it's called sublation or correction. The knowledge, oh, it's not a snake. Though I saw it to be a snake, it's not a snake. It's a rope. This knowledge is called the correcting knowledge, badha, sublation. And um, until when this occurs, you say what you saw earlier was false and what you see now is true. To illustrate the difference, the Buddhist um, Vigyanavadin will say that, uh, no, the criterion of truth or falsity is, if it works, it's true. If it fails to work, it's false. So there's water. I'm thirsty. I drink the water. If I go to the water and I can drink it, it quenches my thirst. It's real. It's real water. If I go there, it fades out and vanishes. Oh, it's a mirage. It didn't work. So if it practically works, it's true. If it doesn't work, it's false. Who says this? The Buddhist. This is the Buddhist idealist and their, their criterion of truth in Sanskrit is called Artha Kriya Karitvam. The um, practical efficacy. Practical efficacy. If a thing works, it's true. If a thing doesn't work, it's false. So false currency. Children play with false, like, you know, uh, play money. So it looks like money. Is it true? The Buddhist will say, no, try to buy something with it. We get arrested probably. But uh, it's not true. It doesn't work. You can't buy anything with it. So it's not real money. Now to this, so this is the criterion of truth. The Advaitin says, no, this cannot be the criterion of truth. The practical efficacy is not the criterion of truth. By the way, 
one modern American school of philosophy, William James, Charles Pierce and all, um, the pragmatism. So modern pragmatism holds that, um, uh, you know, they call it the cash value philosophy. If it works, it's true. And it's the basis of uh, modern American uh, education also, practical efficacy. Now, back to the ancient debate. What does the Advaitin say to this? Advaitin says, no, this cannot be the criterion of truth. Why? In my dream, I see water. I feel thirsty. I go to that water and I drink it. And it quenches my thirst. So according to your definition, that was real water. But it's not. I will not say when I wake up that I really drank a lot of water. I didn't. I can just as well wake up and feel dehydrated. So that was not the criterion of truth. How did I decide whether it was real water or not real water? When I woke up and I said, oh, that was the dream. And this uh, is real water. Not because of uh, that it worked or did not work. It's because uh, I had this canceling knowledge. That when I woke up and said, oh, that was a dream. That's false. The water I saw in it is not real water. Then I know that it's not real. So unreality, falsity is proved by that cancelling knowledge. Badha jnana, sublation. This is how he defines how do you distinguish between real and unreal. Now, if a person, for example, a person who sees a mirage from a distance and doesn't know it's a mirage and never is not interested, never goes to it. All his life, he can go through it with thinking, it's, a, it's an oasis. I live near an oasis. Actually, it might not be an oasis because he has never cancelled it. He has never gone and checked it out and he has never found that there is no water there. He can remain all his life thinking it's, it's real water. Um, so, what is truth according to the Advaita Vedantin ultimately is that which cannot be cancelled. Which can never be cancelled. What is there that can never be cancelled? Everything else can be falsified. So, we go back to Descartes and his you know, um, project, what can be doubted and what can never be doubted. My own existence as this conscious being, it can never be doubted. Even to doubt it, I have to be there as this conscious being. Consciousness can never be doubted. Um, existence can never be doubted. So what can never be cancelled, Sat, Chit, Brahman, that becomes to truth, logically. If you, if you cancel consciousness, consciousness does not exist. That, so what's the definition of um, untruth? The cancelling knowledge must be there. Badhita, the badha jnana, cancelling knowledge must be there. But the cancelling knowledge requires consciousness. So the cancelling knowledge can never be about consciousness because it has to appear to a consciousness. All right, anyway, we'll leave it there. That's just one question. Um, I, had, I, I had selected 10 such debates to discuss today, but obviously there's no time. All about a suffix. Just because Shankaracharya said, like silver, it appears, well, the seashell appears like silver. That's an example of falsity. And they're all attacking your use of the word like the suffix, what? And that's led to this firestorm of controversy. Anyway, we'll leave it alone now. All right. We'll end this session with a few stories. Um, Shankaracharya composed this. Um, commentary on the Brahma Sutras that was one of his major tasks entrusted to him by his guru Govindapada the Brahma Sutras were composed by relax you don't have to write take notes for the story these stories are received from 
monks, from pandits, and they have multiple versions. So if you have heard another version of the story, don't worry. And they, all of them, they are all nice and they are entertaining. Uh, so Shankaracharya, he composed the commentary on the Brahma Sutras. But remember, the Brahma Sutras were originally composed by the sage uh, Vyasa. So Vyasa composed the Brahma Sutras. Now Vyasa being immortal, he got word. There must be some kind of uh, monastic internet in those days, you know, uh, social media. So they heard that this young kid is composing a commentary on my sutras. So he decided to, to check him out and find, see whether this person, this Shankaracharya is writing a correct commentary on his Brahma Sutras. So he comes as in disguise, uh, as, a, uh, as this Brahmin, wandering Brahmin, he comes to Shankaracharya. And uh, Shankaracharya's prime disciple, the first disciple, most beloved disciple, Padmapada is there. And Padmapada receives this guest, he says, what do you want? He said, I've heard that there is a young monk here who is writing uh, a commentary on the Brahma Sutras. And I would like to discuss this with him. And doesn't introduce himself. He's just some, this, some wandering scholar. Then Shankaracharya comes out and they engage in discussion. And Padmapada notices that what a fierce debate. He's amazed at the depth of these strangers, visiting strangers, um, uh, you know, vast philosophical knowledge and acumen. And he's even more amazed with the guru with, with whom he has lived, the young genius Shankaracharya at the depth of his guru's knowledge also, which he had not plumbed himself. It required an opponent like this to bring it out. So they have this fierce debate about what? Shankaracharya's interpretation of the Brahma Sutras, the Adhyasa Bhashya and the following commentaries. And of course, he doesn't know that the person who's debating is, is the person who has written the Brahma Sutras to begin with. So this debate goes on uh, until uh, every day this, this um, unknown Brahmin would come and challenge Shankaracharya. And then until um, Padmapada one day asks Shankaracharya, who is this uh, strange stranger? How, I've never heard of such you know, encyclopedic knowledge. And Shankaracharya, of course, by this time has guessed who this is. And he says, why don't you um, ask him tomorrow when he comes? So this guest comes. And before they start the debate, Padmapada, the student, asks the guest, I think, sir, you must be none other than the venerable Vyasa himself. Uh, I mean, how else could you have such encyclopedic knowledge? And so the Vyasa assumes his true form as the ancient Vedic sage. And he says, you have guessed rightly, it is I. And then they start debating again. And at one point, they, they have a, you know, like log jam. They can't decide who's right, who's wrong. So Shankaracharya calls his disciple, Padmapada. My dear boy, tell me um, who's right. I'm saying this and the Lord Vyasa is saying this. Who's right? Now oh, he's caught in a bind, Padmapada, because on one side is Vyasa, who has written this original sutras. So he, I'm sure he knows what he meant. And on the other side is his own guru, Shankaracharya. Um, so he, he replies, yeah, whose side can he take? The very nice, funny verse. The verse goes like this. I'll tell you in the Sanskrit original and translate. Shankara Shankaro Swayam Vyaso Devo Narayana Tayod Dayor Madhye Kinkara Kinkaromyaham. So Shankara is 
Shankara is Shankara Swayam is Shiva. My, my guru is none other than an avatar of Shiva. And Vyasa is an avatar of Narayan, of Vishnu. Tayor Dvayor Madhya, between the two of them. Kinkara. Kinkara is a play on words, so it actually is a term for servant. This poor servant, I, this poor servant. Kinkaromyaham, what, what will I, what can I do between them? So it's a play on the words Kinkara. Kinkara literally means servant and, you know, the one who takes orders. And then he says, Kinkaromyaham, what shall I do? What can I do? Anyway, Vyasa blessed Shankaracharya and said, your interpretation is correct. And Shankara sets off on his tour and all of that. And later, Shankara says, his commentary on the Brahma Sutras, including the Adhyasa Bhashya, we are transitioning into the second story. And then there'll be a third one and we'll stop. And the second story is about Padmapada himself. So once Shankaracharya said, my commentary requires further explanation. So I choose you to write that explanation. A sub-commentary on my commentary on uh, the Brahma Sutras of Vyasa. So Padmapada wrote a commentary called uh, Panchapadika. And the five stanzas or five sections. He wrote this commentary on the um, on Shankara's commentary, sub-commentary on Shankara's commentary. And Shankara, he showed it to Shankaracharya. And, um, uh, you know, he had written about five sections and he showed those to Shankaracharya. Shankaracharya approved of it. This is an excellent uh, elucidation of what I have said. So, Padmapada expanded on what we um, are studying, the Adhyasa Bhashya. What he said forms the basis of what Manidravit Shastri has been saying, you know, in all those, in those 26, 27 pages. Now, the, what happened was, Padmapada went on a pilgrimage. And different places, he carried his book with him, his sub-commentary on Shankaracharya's commentary on the Brahma Sutras. Now, he had landed up in, this, uh, in his native village at his uncle's place. And his uncle asked, so my boy, what have you been doing with your time? You became a monk, then what happened? So Padmapada told him, they were all delighted, the family was delighted that the boy had come back. Was, uh, Padmapada told them how he had met this marvelous young monk, uh, Shankaracharya, and become a disciple of Shankaracharya, how Shankaracharya had composed the, Brahm, the commentary on the Brahma Sutras, how he had given him the great honor of writing a sub-commentary, and how he had written that sub-commentary, establishing the supremacy of non-dual Vedanta, Dvaita Vedanta. And the uncle, who was also a very scholarly person, but he was a dualist. So he said, tell me, how does he explain the Brahma Sutras? And then the innocent Padmapada explained everything, how Shankaracharya has explained it and how he read out from his book. And the uncle was thunderstruck. He thought this book, if it gets published in those days, you know, widespread uh, you know, teaching and it becomes known, that will be the end of dualism. Non-dualism will reign supreme. So I must do something about it. So he tells Padmapada that, my boy, this uh, book is so valuable. Just leave it with me. You go on your pilgrimage, it can get lost. So I'll just keep it safe. And you're on your way back to your guru, you can pick it up from me. So no, no, poor Padmapada didn't suspect anything. Nowadays, he would have just uploaded it to the cloud or something. But then there was no other way. There were palm leaf manuscripts. So he left it happily with his uncle. He went on a trip. And um, he came back. To, find, to his horror, he found his uncle's house in, in ruins. And what happened? The uncle said, what can I tell you? I'm so sorry. My, my house went up in flames, but that's not my real concern. Your most valuable work was burnt with the house. 
So see the amount of what jealousy can do. He, he burns his own house in order to destroy that text. The Padma Pada sub-commentary on the commentary on Brahma Sutras. So I'm so sorry. Your great life's work is now lost forever. Padma Pada says, don't worry, uncle. I had uh, memorized the whole thing. So it's all in my memory. I can write it down again. <laughs> you can imagine the uncle's horror at this. And, but he doesn't give up. He invites Padma Pada, his own nephew, to a feast where he puts drugs in Padma Pada's uh, food so that he gets amnesia and he forgets his uh, uh, book. So he's thunderstruck. Now he can't remember anything. He can't remember Vedanta. He's an illumined soul. That doesn't matter to him. But he can't remember Vedanta. He can't remember his sub-commentary. So desolate, he goes back to um, Shankaracharya and he narrates his tale of woe. And he says, I don't think I can do it all over again. It's too difficult. Um, then Shankaracharya says, don't worry. Before you left, you had uh, recited the first five sections of your book. So I remember those first five sections. So imagine they one time <laughs> recite that he remembers. So he recited it back and that was recorded. And that's what we get from Padmapada's commentary. So that forms the basis of a school of Vedanta, sub-school of Vedanta called Vivarana school. Later on, another great teacher, Prakash Atmayati, wrote a commentary on Padmapada's Panchapadika, on Shankaracharya's Bhashya, on Brahma Sutra. And that was called Panchapadika Vivarana. And that's why this whole sub-school of Advaita Vedanta is called Pan uh, Vivarana school. If you look it up, Vivarana school is a vast school. That's basically our school. The non-dualist monks you come across, they are we are basically technically followers of the Vivarana sub-school of Advaita Vedanta. All right. Now, um, there was, there's obviously another sub-school. So this comes from one of the greatest scholars that ancient India produced. His name is Vachaspati Mishra. So Vachaspati Mishra um, he, he he was a householder, uh, one of the most you know encyclopedic, tremendous scholars of Indian philosophy, not just Advaita Vedanta. His commentary to Advaita Vedanta is just justifiably famous. Um, but also uh, his commentary on Nyaya, his textbook on Nyaya, his textbook on uh, Sankhya called Sankhya Tattva Kaumudi. How beautiful these names that they gave. The Moonlight, which illumines the, the principles of Sankhya. Sankhya Tattva Komedi. It's a beautiful text. Then, I've read only parts of it, but it's really good. Then his commentary on the Yoga, Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, and his commentary on uh, the Mimamsa philosophy. So these are all, all even now they're studied. He lived just after Shankaracharya, so he, maybe 1,200 years ago. Even now these books are studied. But he's most famous for his commentary on Shankaracharya's um, Bhashya, uh, Adhyasa Bhashya, on his Brahma Sutra Bhashya, including Adhyasa Bhashya, called Bhamati. So, this is the story which I'll tell and I'll uh, end with this. This um, story uh, is that when Vachaspati Mishra was getting married, by the way, this is so this is the stream of what you might call householder Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta. So, the Vivarana school, non dualists were mostly monks. They will uh, criticize this. I remember a monk in uh, the Himalayas who would say, Ah, Mishra Ji ka Vedanta hai na? Mishra Ji ka Vedanta, Vachaspati Mishra's Vedanta. So, Mishra Ji, Vedanta of Mr. Mishra. So, there's a thousand year debate between these two sub schools. But what happened was, 
So Vajraspati Mishra was getting married. And in his marriage, among all the elaborate uh, customs, in those days, there used to be debates. The uh, groom and the bride will, uh, part of the rituals was to listen to a philosophical debate, some philosophical debate. Um, I guess now that's been ditched in favor of so many other things. There are very elaborate rituals and uh, you know, music and uh, lots of things in marriages. But one of the features was you get to listen to, you have to sit and listen to a philosophical debate between in, in some, some topic. So the topic that day, um, very important, significant, it happened to be Advaita Vedanta. So some scholars were debating Advaita Vedanta. And Vachaspati, listening to the debate, he was, uh, he, he, he was raging within. He's like, this can't be right. That's wrong. But he can't say it. He's the groom. He can't start, uh, you know, uh, he, can, he can't spoil the festivities. And he, he made a promise. Wait. Once this marriage is, uh, ceremony is over, I'm going to set it right. I'm going to write a book which will clarify Advaita Vedanta forever. So after the marriage was over, he set to his task. He started writing this commentary, his sub-commentary on Shankaracharya's commentary on the Brahma Sutras, just like Padmapada. He started writing this. And he would be at it day and night. One day, he saw this lady in the evening. It was dark. This lady entered his room and lit the lamp and was quietly walking out. He was startled. Who is this unknown lady walking into my room? And why is she lighting a lamp and walk, walking out, not saying anything? So he, he stops her and says, Who are you, my lady? What's your name? And why are you here? Um, and she says, sadly, and she says with tears in her eyes, and says, uh, this is the first time you have spoken to me. We have been married so many years, decades have passed. And ever since our marriage, you have been at work on this book. And I do everything. I cook, I clean, I take care of you. Everything is going on. And it's not, you haven't even spoken to me. Um, so it's like some stories is 10 years, some stories is 40 years or whatever. Um, and then... Vachaspati was so taken aback and he said, I haven't been able to give you anything at all in, in your life. I'm so sorry about that. And what's your name? He hasn't even asked her a name. Remember, this is old Indian arranged marriages, so he, he didn't even know the name of his wife. What's your name? She said, Bhamati. And then he said, all right, I name this book Bhamati. As long as people shall study Advaita Vedanta, they study, there will be spiritual seekers in this world pursuing non-dualism, they will know your name for as long as you know, civilization persists. And that's true. I was, I was just thinking, um, 1,200 years later, uh, we are discussing Advaita Vedanta over Zoom, you know, sitting, sitting here in Manhattan, and you're on all parts of the world, and we're still taking the name of Mahamati. Now to bring you down from this very poetic, touching story, there's another version of the story that Vajaspati Mishra was probably living in a city called Bhamati. That's why he named it. But that doesn't sound so good. <laughs> this story sounds better. And I heard it from a pundit. So some credence. Um, why did I say these, tell these stories? So if you want to understand Advaita Vedanta in depth, the subtleties of it, the books you need to consult, the ancient books, uh, are basically three. There are many, but three. One is Panchapadika Vivarana. Don't take down notes. They, they, are all, they are all brain fryers. Panchapadika Vivarana, that which comes from Padmapada, 
Padmapadacharya down through Prakashatma Piyati, that sub-school. It's called Panchapadika with Panchapadika Vivarana. That's one. The second one is Bhamati of Vajaspati Mishra. That's two. The third one is a bit, it's a much later, Govindan, um, Govindan, I think. It's called Ratna Prabha. Ratna Prabha. So these are the three which one studies in order to understand Shankaracharya's Adhyasa Bhashya and all the debates arising out of it. I personally remember, I didn't know all this. When I came into, when I was in training, I came across a nice English translation of Bhamati. I can show you the book. I've got a copy. This is Bhamati of Vachaspati Mishra. And uh, it's a nice English translation published in Chennai, the Adyar Library and Research Center. And the foreword was given by none other than uh, Dr. Ra uh, Sarvapalli Radhakrishnan, who was a great philosopher, president of India and so on. And it was translated by S.S. Surya Narayan Shastri. This is just the uh, Bhamati on Shankaracharya's commentary on the first four sutras, Chatus Sutri of Brahma Sutras. And there, I came across this book when I was a Brahmachari and I started reading it. I didn't know what it was, but I, was, I found it fascinating. So, and the verses, Vajrapati Mishra writes to Shankaracharya here. One of them is so touching. He says, he says, just as water from, the, from a dirty lane, from a drain, falls into the Ganga and later becomes is called Ganga water, is part of the Ganga, is purified and becomes part of the Ganga. Similarly, my worthless commentary, because it's connected to the Ganga of Shankaracharya, Shankaracharya's commentary, is also purified and elevated that way. Uh, and this term often used for Shankaracharya's writing, uh, Bajaspati Mishra uses it, Bhashyam Prasannagambhiram. The prasan these are beautiful Sanskrit words. Bhashyam means commentary. Prasannagambhiram. Gambhiram, most deep, most profound. Prasanna, um, you know, um, how would I put it? Shining, um, um, you know, not difficult. Smiling happy, um, so a very wholesome and yet profound, this combination. I wonder how he has translated Prasanna Gambhira. The clear yet deep commentary. Okay, that's nice. Clear, light, yes. Light or clear yet deep commentary. Prasanna Gambhira, deep Gambhira and Prasanna clear. And that's a sign of some best philosophical writing. And I, I remember in my extra time as, as a brahmacharya, we had a very tight tight schedule from 3.40 a.m. in the morning till 10.30 at night. I would squeeze in, I would sort of, uh, you know, like being addicted, read this book. I was fascinated. With, uh, uh, so this is the Bhamati on Shankaracharya's commentary. Okay. So those are some stories. <laughs> and uh, that was a short not so good introduction to the uh, Adhyasa Bhashya of Shankaracharya. Let me end with a chant. Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Tatsat Shri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu